JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Hey, joining us now, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Uh, defensive lineman of the Colts, always a fantastic conversation. It is DeForest Buckner with us. DeForest, thank you for the time. How are you going? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I want to start right here as far as getting into this this offseason. Uh, first meeting with new head coach Shane Steichen. What was your impression upon that first meeting? No, no, yeah. I mean, I just I just love the energy. Um, you know, obviously the culture he's trying to establish with the, this new regime. Um, you know what I mean? It, it's been amazing. It's been great so far, you know, being able to sit down and talk to him, you know, throughout the first week and, you know, just hearing, you know, just hearing his his mindset and everything moving forward. It's the DeForest Buckner with us. This is what I gather, and I want you to kind of play off of this a little bit. When, when I talked to him, he he was very football specific, meaning that like if you and I were to talk about stuff further in this interview, it may be something different than football, and you're pretty comfortable with that. He seems uncomfortable with talking about anything but football. He seems all ball to me. Is that how he seems to you? I mean, yeah, Kobe. Coach is uh, definitely all ball, but, you know, being able to sit down and talk to him for a little bit. I mean, we, we talk about more than just ball, you know what I mean? Obviously, um, some personal things and what we like to do and stuff like that. So um, he can get more on a personal level as well. It's uh, DeForest Buckner who joins us. So um, what do you think about his vision in what he interpreted to you in these initial conversations or I guess in the initial conversation he had with you, DeForest? No, no, yeah. I mean, just, just being able to obviously talk ball and, uh, you know, obviously his mindset moving forward. And um, just like with any any great team, it's, it's locker room driven. You know what I mean? The leadership from within the locker room, you know, holding each other accountable um, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, that's what he envisions our, our team being, you know what I mean, with, with some cornerstone pieces that we have already here and, you know, a lot of veteran guys. Um, obviously, you know, we needed a few pieces, um, you know, coming in with the draft and the, and the free agency um, going into the season. So, um, you know, just seeing that, you know, the main thing is just being everything's locker room driven, obviously. A lot, lot of new things for you there. I mean, obviously a lot of the same teammates. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly some are gone, especially on your defensive side of the football. But uh, what do you think? What's your impression on the uh, locker room makeup from just seeing it early on? No, yeah. I mean, we, we got a lot of key pieces back. You know, obviously every year is a new year. I'm getting new guys, um, you know, learning, you know, you know, just getting to know each and every new the new guys on the team and, you know, building that chemistry early on in OTAs and, you know, obviously um, on and off the field. So, you know, I mean, every every year is different. So, um, you know, being able to get to new, know my new teammates is always fun. OTA is pretty important to you. You talk about building chemistry, camaraderie, and all that, and sometimes I think that's thrown around, at least for people not playing, just like a cliche. But for you and your teammates, that certainly in this time of year is more meaningful than others think, correct? No, definitely. Um, obviously, with, you know, I mean, a lot of new guys, you know, being added to the group, and and uh, honestly, the best teams that I've, I've been ever been a part of, I mean, we were a very close-knit group, and, you know, we, we were able to um, – you know, build those relationships that trust among one another, you know, from OTAs and the, just the, the little things, you know, early on in the season, in the off season, um, on and off the field, you know, building those, you know, those connections with one another, being able to trust each other on the field on game day. I mean, it goes a long way. It's it's funny, too, because it seems like this time of year, you, you can learn all that, learn about one another, mm-hmm. uh, get with one another on your own speed, because it's tough to happen during the season because you're going at a fever pitch just going from week to week and playing the games and practicing themselves this is the time of year to really get that bond going right as a team no definitely i mean when you you know when you're spending a lot of time with 
you know, with your teammates and the guy next to you. I mean, shoot, you you know, throughout the season, you know what's going to make that guy tick. You know what's going to, you know, make get him going, um, motivate him. You know what I mean? Obviously, um, um, working with one another, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, what moves he like to do, you know, specifically on the D-line, you know, um, what kind of rusher he is or, you know, how, he, how you know he's going to set the edge. And when you know he's going to do his job, he's going to be there because you trust him. So, you know, all those little things, I mean, it's not just built, you know, throughout the season. I mean, it's all, you know, everything takes place in the offseason and building that, that foundation with one another. One, uh, the one con- another. Yeah, the construction of that, that defensive line. Obviously, there's some new pieces there. Um, Grover Stewart, however, is not and had a fantastic season a year ago next to you. Uh, as somebody that played next to him the entire year, what, what was your impression of the work that he did with you in that defense last year? No, yeah, I mean, I just felt like the, the new scheme for Grove really opened up to what he can do, you know, obviously, and his uh, skill set and what, you know, God gave him. I mean, you know, being able to just attack and disrupt in the backfield, I mean, he did a great job this this past season, and, you know, going into our second year in the scheme, I think he's just going to get um, even better. He is, so, um, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do this season. He is DeForest Buckner with us at the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I love what you had to say, um, and as a player, you know this, man the the clock is ticking and it's it, it's ticking fast on everybody going into the NFL once you get there you bristle at the phrase or word in this case rebuild and mm-hmm. you know what so do the fans I mean, yeah. you in saying that last week, and the fans are both in agreement on this. That's just a word you like to stay away from, isn't it? No, definitely. You know what I mean. You never like to hear that word, um, no matter how the where the you know the the team is going or whatever it is or the changes that, that are going to happen. Um, you know, every year's a new year, every year's a new opportunity. You know what I mean? And um, you know, rebuild is just not a word you like to hear. I mean, I'm, shoot, I've 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 heard that word before, and I've been a part of it, and it's a you know, it's a it is a, a tolling couple of years or seasons, you know, trying to, you know, them growing pains, you know, when, when you have an organization mindset around rebuild, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, obviously I was a part of that early in my career, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm going into year eight, and uh, it's just not a word I, I like to hear. So, you know, just the mindset, you know, moving forward, even talking to Shane, um, you know, he he was like, no, I don't like that word either, you know. And uh, just our mindset is, you know, obviously we're going to get better this offseason and going into the season, you know, we're going into it, you know, obviously, you know, knowing that, you know, we're going to have a new opportunity to, to make it to the big dance. It's funny, you and your new head coach and the fans are all on the same page because DeForest, the fans don't want to hear that either. I mean, I'm exactly. on here three hours a day every afternoon. That is the last damn thing they want to hear. Exactly. It's a DeForest Buckner on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. When, when you went through the transition, we'll call it, in San Francisco, are, are there kind of similarities that maybe we could end up seeing for you in San Francisco and that transition to maybe the one that we could see moving forward here with the Colts? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously – you know, it's a, it's a new regime right now. I mean, new coaching staff. Um, you know, we got a lot of new guys on the team and everything. And um, but I honestly think we we got a lot more obviously foundational pieces um, going into this year than we had. You know, going into my second year of the league. You know what I mean? Um, and so I mean, I feel like we got a lot of the the right guys in the locker room right now to to you know make a push to the playoffs and all that. It's just obviously getting to know the, know the new scheme offensively. You know, building off of the year we had defensively. Um, from last year, you know, going into this year. So, you know, and obviously getting just a couple more key pieces moving forward, and I think we'll be in a good spot. Your first year with Gus Bradley, what was that like for you? No, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, I just love the, you know, the energy, the optimism that, uh, you know, Gus brings and, uh, you know, just the way he approaches each and every day, uh, just, you know, gets the guys going and, you know, it's fun. You know what I mean? He makes, you know, he makes the, the meetings fun. You know what I mean? Everybody's engaged, you know, going and, you know, I mean, you saw obviously throughout the year, you know, there was moments where we, you know, we played great ball and, you know, we just need to build off of it and, you know, finish in key moments. Yeah, give me give me some impressions that you have on things that you as a unit defensively need to work on and can improve upon, at least at the top of the list going into this year. No, yeah, just the the, the finish aspect. You know, we, we there would be games where we would put, you know, three and a half quarters of great ball together. And, you know, we just won't finish. You know, obviously, um, games that stick out to me, obviously, the big one is the Minnesota game. You know what I mean? Um, giving up that big of a lead, biggest, you know, we, biggest, what, comeback in NFL history. I mean, obviously, that's, 
you never want to be part of something like that. Um, another game that comes to mind, um, the Dallas game. You know, uh, it's close going into the third, and all of a sudden we just let them score, I don't know, 45 points or whatever in the fourth yeah. or that second half is just, you know, absurd. So it's just we got to consistently put four quarters together each and every week. So DeForest Buckner with us. As a defensive unit, obviously you guys had moments. As a team, not so much. Was as a team, the mo- was that this past year the most difficult season that you have endured getting through it? No, you know, mentally, yes. Um, obviously, just, you know, things just not going our way. Because, I mean, we, we had opportunities, you know, time in and time out in games. To, to really take advantage of the opportunities that we had and then we just didn't capitalize on it and, the, you know, just ball didn't go our way. And so, you know, that's just things that we have to, you know, obviously endure and then we have to learn from going into the season. Hey, DeForest, this is kind of interesting to me because you, you prepare to win. I mean, you, you prepare mm-hmm. to win football games and have success. Um, how difficult is it to, to prepare in a season where things just continuously slide down a hill like what we saw a year ago? No, yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, each and every week we prepare to win. I mean, that's just why we play the game. We want to win. And, uh, you know, I mean, just with the the way things were going last year, I mean, sometimes, you know, it just it just takes one. It just takes one win to get things started. And, uh, you know, you still having that mindset, that belief each and every week because each week is a, is a new opportunity. I mean, you see all types of upsets or whatever it is, you know, going into each week and you thinking like, oh, a team's going to get blown out and they end up winning or whatever it is, you know, um, you know, anything can happen. I mean, it's just, you know, just – you just gotta, uh, you know, keep keep that uh, positive mindset going into each game. You bring up mindset too. How quickly do you dismiss, forget about what took place a year ago? No, nah, yeah, I mean, you definitely, obviously, like I said, you have to learn from the mistakes from last year, but you can't dwell on it. You know, this game, you know, you gotta you gotta have a short term memory. You know, whether it's good or bad, you know, each and every week is a new week, and nobody cares what you did last week. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. it's a it's a week to week league. Um, what what have you done for me lately? So. Um, no matter it's whether it's good or bad, you have to have a, you know a, a short memory. That that um that seems tough. <laughs> that would be, I, if, especially considering somebody like you is just ultra competitive, much more than like the average person. I'm sure can yeah. can relate to. It just seems like that that you know having a season like that and going through that would be tough to just instantly forget. Yet you're right, DeForest. You have to. It's a must. Yeah, definitely. I mean, shoot, you, you keep dwelling on it, you're not going to get better, and you're going to just, you know, continue to spiral in the wrong direction, and that's what we don't want to do. So DeForest Buckton with us. Before I let you go, how was your off season? Anything you enjoyed uh, preparation-wise, on and off the field consideration here? What would you do? I don't know. Yeah, just, you know, being able to take some time off, get away from get away from ball a little bit, uh, spend more time with the family, obviously, and um, you know, take the. I took my family to go visit my my family back home in Hawaii. Nice. Uh, yeah, for for about a week, which was nice. Um, you know, took the kids to Disney. Uh, you know, took the wife on a little getaway, so it was you know, I got to do a lot. Do you uh, do you watch sports in the off season? I do. Yeah. What, what do you What do you watch? What do you zone in on more than anything else? You know, lately I've been I'm terrible at it, but lately I've been watching golf. Really now? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about this golf story you got here and uh, no, your just, game in general. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I mean, I picked, something I picked up on as I you know started playing the league, but I, I consistently don't get out there. But I love getting out there. You know, it's just something to do. And um, you know, growing up, you know, my dad would you know put some golf on here and there, and I just thought it was a, you know it was boring or whatever it was. And as I started getting into it, you know, I find it more interesting watching it. So, you know, that's one of the things I've been watching lately. Um, you know, uh, playoff basketball is here, so that's um, that's when I start watching the NBA. Well, with golf in mind, here's the thing about it. It... it, it uh it takes so much time to play it. That's one Definitely. thing. And man, exactly. we live, we live in a world where if things don't get done lickety here, we're probably not going to do it. I mean, we're on to the next thing in a minute. That's tough yeah, to definitely. deal with nowadays. No, yeah, definitely. And uh, NBA, who's your team? I don't have a team. I just like players, you know. Uh, so 
I just, you know, when when the playoff ball starts up, that's when yeah. it starts getting really, you know, uh, really interesting. So that's when I like we'll start watching. Here's what happens when Draymond Green gets suspended for. That's how you know the playoffs are officially underway when somebody, not just necessarily <laughs> Draymond Green, but just a player in general, gets tossed no, or yeah, suspended that, from a game, right? Definitely, that's, yeah. It's underway. Emotions are high, and you know, it's a lot more physical. You know what I mean? It's fun to watch. Man, I, I tell you though, that's the, the juices, the competitive juices that you thrive. That that has to still feel good though to be in that situation, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Definitely. Something that you miss. All right, we'll get back to it, and uh, I appreciate you coming on here, and have a great off season. Uh, enjoy. Are you? I'm assuming you're going to be watching the draft, right? With an interesting eye. Definitely, I will be. I'll be tuned in. You, you happen to know who they're going to draft? Can you tell me? Did they tell you? You know what? That's above my pay grade. I <laughs> <laughs> Way above mine, too. <laughs> All right. Hey, enjoy the offseason. We'll catch up again soon, DeForest. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline as you check us out inside the lounge via YouTube Live. It is from the Indy Star. covers high school, covers some collegiate athletics and more. It's Kyle Nedenrup with us. Good afternoon, Kyle. How you doing? Hey, good, John. How are you? So, so what do you guys? So the whole um, there's a regional bias in terms of Mr. Basketball. Has there been? I saw you guys answering those questions, or at least putting those questions out there to be answered. What did you come up with from those readers of the Star regarding there being hints, maybe of of uh, bias in terms of Mr. Basketball selections in the past? Well, it's it's one of those things on social media where, you know, there's always, uh, I think, a pretty uh, vocal, I don't know if it's a minority, but there's always a pretty vocal uh, group of people who are, you know, say, hey, we, we don't get any love up here in the north or pick your area of the state. And, you know, I, there was a publication wrote something about how uh, it was an Indianapolis only award. It's become that way. And, and I just kind of went through the, the year by year and it's not, you know, it doesn't really add up that way. You know, there's there there, there definitely has been you know, a lot of uh, Indianapolis players or Indianapolis area players win it. I think 11 out of the last 20 before last night, so now 11 out of 21. But, you know, you go down the list of those players, and it's, you know, to me it's pretty clear they were probably the, the pick uh, most of those years. So I think when you make that argument, you just have to say, all right, here's, here's the argument I'm making, uh, you know, player A versus player B, and here's why. And I, I think that's a more respectable way to make that argument than just throwing around, uh, you know, this is regional bias because we don't have it for this amount of years. Well, you got to, you know, you, you have to kind of say who you're talking about, in my opinion, and, and you know, be factual with it, in my opinion. I, that's my opinion, but I, I think. Who, who, was, who was the reference toward? Was there a, a specific Mr. Basketball selection and year where no, it was uh, being argued at all or just in general? No, it was just generally saying, "Hey, we haven't got it up here in, in 45 years in South the South Bend area, basically." And and uh, if Marcus Burton doesn't get it, then you know that's it, the system's broken, basically. And I, and I would argue the Mr. Basketball system is, is it's great because you know you have votes from everywhere in the state. You know, coaches and media vote on this thing every year, uh, so you have a wide breadth of. Uh, you know, votes coming from everywhere. So I think you normally end up, and I think the vote last night showed, you know, it was 171 for Burton, and uh, and uh, Xavier Booker was second with 20. So I think that shows you that, you know, you can you can get votes from anywhere, and it's going to probably turn out to be, you know, in this case, uh, people thought Marcus Burton was Mr. Basketball by a pretty wide margin. So, you know, we haven't seen that big of a discrepancy since uh, – you know, Romeo Langford won in 18, yeah. uh, and uh, I think he had, you know, his was almost 90% of the vote. So, and Eric Gordon before that was, I think, 91%. So, you know, it, it was pretty clear, I think, that Burton was the, the pick. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from necessarily. It just, uh, you know, I think it, the vote will probably turn out the way it's uh, supposed to most times. It is Kyle Nedrup of the star of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. I think it's even easier today because you can see you can get enough information by not necessarily having to drive to Penn or up north to watch, you know, Marcus Burton play or to drive south 
uh, to see, you know, somebody in Evansville play, for example, something like that, because, I mean, the Internet and social media and such, and really the Internet in long form gives you the opportunity to see a lot of the career of these guys that maybe years ago, certainly, you wouldn't know about. You'd probably have to call somebody and ask. You'd have to call other coaches and ask. Now the research, I think, is all on the voters' shoulders of watching for themselves. That's a great point, and I agree, you know, completely. That's, uh, you know, you have more streaming, you have more, you know, schools who do their own broadcasts, you have, you know, basically more, you know, even though there's maybe less uh, traditional media, there's more social media, there's more, there's more outlets of people writing about stuff and, and about kids, and you can see them, uh, even if you're not there in person, you can watch them, you know, online on, on whatever uh, forum that is, and uh, you can get your own assessment. Also helped in Burton's case, you know, they came down here and played uh, in, in December. They they played the Hall of Fame in December, later in December, you know, and he performed really well in those games. Then his team, you know, made it. They were within, within one point of making the state championship game, and uh, it took Flory and Kokomo to beat him by one point and knock him off. But, you know, I think by that point, you know, he was pretty clearly the favorite, and, and uh you know, it, it, you didn't have to have that uh, stage of playing in the state finals necessarily to win it, but uh, but got pretty darn close as close as you can get without doing that. So, but yeah, I mean, to your point, it's uh, you know, it's just a smaller world that we live in now as far as you know being able to see players play and know uh, what they look like. You're not relying on word of mouth and, and things like that anymore uh, as much as you know, even when I started doing this job. So it's just that's changed things a lot, I think, and it helps. It helps to be able to to see those players go against each other and, and give you a better assessment on what they're like. Yeah, I'll give a shout-out to Greg Rakestraw, too, with the ISC Network, where, you know, you, you get to see a lot um, if you have the ways and means in which to tune into them because they, they go nearly everywhere to do right. games. So you can, you can really uh, – you can suck up all that information just by watching, uh, where in the past you certainly could not. Kyle Nettenrip of the Star is with us. Top to bottom – this all-star team, the, the level of talent that it is going to have, or I, I guess I should say the level of talent that is in this senior class, this outgoing senior class in the state of Indiana, how does it compare to senior classes of the past, recent history? I like the depth of this class. It's a, you know, it's not a team necessarily that uh, you're going to have uh, monsters. But I don't, you know, it, to, to win the, the Indiana all-star game, you know, sometimes you don't need, and to be honest, you have you do have Booker and Zane Dowdy who are both you know six six nine six ten uh, in that range. So you've got some size, uh, but you know I think last year um, you know that team just played really hard. They played together. Uh, they they played well as a team. So you get that sometimes where the teams just don't mesh uh, quite as well. So I'm, you know you never know going into that how that looks, but. You know, from an overall class standpoint, I've, I've liked this class for a long time. You know, the uh, kind of the depth, the versatility of players, uh, like a guy like Miles Colvin, I think is going to be uh, he, his uh, his upside and potential is off the charts. He's not even 18 yet, you know, so he's, he's uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, growth, I think, if, if he, you know, puts it all together. I think he's a he's going to be an excellent player, but. But, yeah, you've got, you know, guys like Logan Iams, Marcus Burton uh, at the guard spots. You've got some good versatility, like I said, up front with Booker and, and Zane Doughty. And a really good point guard, uh, Sheridan Sharp, who, you know, I think he's maybe even underrated. He's, he's an all-star, but uh, but defensively and offensively, uh, things he can do as a point guard, uh, really good player. And, uh, you know, some of the other guys will be more, you know, the Ian Rash from uh, from Northwood's a guy maybe people don't haven't seen as much, but – Gives you a good defensive player and a guy who's got size about six foot six who's going to grace and then uh, Luke Almodovar from Noblesville has played really well in the top sixty and had a great season you know super efficient can jump out of the gym and then he went out and had a great top sixty workout probably put himself on the team by what he did so you know excited to see what he can do but but yeah overall just I think a really uh, really good class and I think you're going to end up with a pretty good uh, overall team I know the you know the one thing that you know, it was a little bit concerning for Mike Broughton. You know, I was just talking to him the other day. Is uh, Kentucky's got a really good player named Reed Shepard, and who's going to guard him? But yeah, I think Sheridan Sharp will probably get that assignment most likely, and, and I think he'll do as, as good a job as anybody. But, yeah, overall, I mean, Indiana's really dominated this series on the boys' side. The girls' side maybe you know, a little bit less so. They're hoping to get a sweep this year. 
but, uh, but yeah, the boys' side just going to be. You know, I, I think this class is is about as good as any uh, here in the last few years as far as overall depth, even beyond the All Star team. Uh, but I think you ended up with a really good All Star team too. Kyle Nedrup with us. Before I let you go, I know it was back in February. There was a Carmel Center Grove game that uh, didn't end well. And then after that, I guess the aftermath was that Carmel wanted off the schedule with all sports of Center Grove. Now, I've, I've heard both sides of it. Uh, in Carmel, they suggest that's the reason why at Center Grove, they suggest that Carmel wanted to move on and jump into another conference without Center Grove as, you know, they were going to kind of hang out and find a conference or, you know, do whatever they were doing when they when they uh, got out of the mick in the fashion in which they did. Where are we with that right now? And have you got to the bottom of what is actually the truth behind why Carmel and Center Grove, two of the best programs athletically in the state are no longer going to be on one another's schedule. Yeah, and it, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting thing. I don't know that they necessarily have to play each other. I mean, to me, you know, it would be a better situation, you know, for everybody if they did play. I you know, I think from a from a you know, an unbiased standpoint of just wanting to see the best teams play each other, you know, in, in every sport really. I mean, both of them have great athletic programs, but you know, when you look at football and what that Copper Kettle game became over the years, I mean, that was, you know, one of the marquee games, if not the marquee game on the schedule uh, almost every year. So, and it drew a huge gate. You know, you had, you know, fans uh, came to that game. And, and I think for both schools, that's beneficial financially for sure. Um, you know, but I think at this point, it sounds like, at least for the time being, uh, you know, at least in football, those schools are going to, move on without playing each other and i know center grove is working on they may have finalized their schedule by now i know they're looking to finalize their week seven schedule it's going to be totally different uh you know i think they have what five or six i have in front of me but uh five or six out-of-state games uh so i don't know if that's sustainable or, or if that's what you really want every single year but most of those games are at home so that's obviously helpful but you know, I do hope, you know, the games that I always like to see, and I think the games that resonate with people are the ones that are the rivalry games. And I think that's maybe why some of the, uh, you know, the, the bad feelings or whatever uh, spilled over a little bit. And, and it was actually in a basketball game kind of where that it was. happened. And it wasn't the only reason, you know, when you talk to, I think there were other things maybe leading up to that, you know, some, some bad feelings that uh, had happened. Um, not in basketball, but other other areas where that was kind of maybe the tipping point uh, for a discussion. And I know that from talking to Paul Nydick, he's talked to both sides of them, and he's hopeful that they'll play. But it's not up to the ISSA. It's up to the schools uh, to decide if they want to continue. And, you know, I'd, honestly, I think they will at some point. But, you know, yeah, you bring up the conference thing, and that could be something that keeps that from happening, too, if they're in different conferences. And then, you know, if one's an independent and one's not, then it becomes harder to schedule. So, like I said, I mean, they don't have to, you know, it's not like, you know, rivalries change and things happen and, and you know, but it is unfortunate to me because that was such a great rivalry uh, in the in the regular season. And they had some great uh, state games. I mean, just, just uh, you know, just blow for blow, just one of the best games out there, uh, like I said, every year so. I, I don't know exactly, you know, the, the near future, I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I do think in some other sports they will play. But uh, at least for now, I don't think football is going to be one of them, at least in the in the very near future. Yeah, I said this. Just for the sake of competition, we're talking about two of uh, the best athletic programs, high school-wise, in the state of Indiana. Uh, need to be playing. I, I just think they need to be playing. I mean, in central Indiana here, you, you need to be playing. People want to see that. As you mentioned, people come out to see it. It's a circle date for both sides. I, you know, and again, I, I, I keep it as simple as possible on this. I think it's all really silly. I think it's all yeah. really silly. I think you come to terms. You make sure that you're on each, each other's schedule. I mean, especially over the course of the regular season in, in football, uh, you know, in basketball, uh, anything really. So I, I think this is all pretty silly. But again, Kyle, I've heard both sides of it, 
I didn't know really what to believe. I obviously get more of the, well, it's Carmel, because where I live, it's Carmel. They want to get to a conference, and, you know, we were, you know, we we're going to be together, and now we're not, or whatever. And then, you know, the Carmel side of it, from what I heard from people, is, you know, of, of that incident, certainly, that happened back in February. I was just kind of curious where that may stand right now. But it's unfortunate, because we like competition. You like competition. You want to cover it. And that takes away some competition when those two teams don't play. It does, and, and there's only so many of those out-of-state games that you're really – I mean, every once in a while it's good to play a Louisville Trinity or a, a Cincinnati St. Xavier. Those are interesting to a certain point, but I don't think that's what your fans really want, you know, on the whole, you know. And I'm, I know they're doing the best they can right now to fill those those holes in the schedule, and they've got some excellent games, you know. It turned out actually probably better than anyone thought, you know, as far as that football schedule goes, but – you know, they're the three-time defending champs. I mean, you should. I would hope people would be lining up to try to knock them off. You know, I think that would be more fun to see. Uh, but uh, right now, you know, that's not that's not happening. And uh, I don't know. You know. I don't know what the what the future holds. But but yeah, I agree. That I I'm agree with you. There's there's definitely uh, both sides. Uh, you know, there's there's reasons on both sides. I think, and and I don't think it's all black and white. I think there's there's truth on both. Uh, sides to that so you know knowing both you know sides of both uh, coaches and you know administrators on both sides I I, ho- I would hope they uh, you know I know they're looking for their best interest of their school but I think for the best interest of your fans and the in the in the sports world that it is better that you play each other because you are the premier or two of the premier I would I would say for your kids I mean your kids yeah. that are playing your kids on the team I just I would say that well and I've just heard me. from other I've heard from former players who are like why is this why is this happening? You know, either DMing me or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. why is this happening? We want we want Carmel to play uh, Center Grove and vice versa. So, I've definitely heard that from alumni who were like, "Why is why in the world is this game going off the schedule?" So yeah, there's and I know that's not a no one's surprised to hear that necessarily, but I have heard that from from former players who have said that. So yeah, there is that feeling out there. Kyle Nedrup of the Star and the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Kyle's always a pleasure. Thank you for stopping in on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Anytime. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from CBS4 and Fox 59. Mike Chappell joins us. Listen, we've both been around this long enough, you much longer, obviously, when they got here than I, but all this seems to me like a garden variety crap and BS that is said before every single draft as we approach. However, I will say this. Let's just say, hypothetically, C.J. Stroud's available at four. Do the Colts draft him? Or do they draft Will Levis? Because I've been talking about Levis for a while, and it seems like that that conversation's gaining a little bit of national steam. What do you think? Yeah, but it seems like you've been talking about Levis a long time because no one expected C.J. Stroud to be there, sort of. So I I don't know. Sometimes it seems like things get clearer the culture to get to the draft, and now it's just totally the opposite. It's, it's, you know, initially it was about uh, three quarterbacks ago, one, two, three, maybe one, two, three, four, and now, you know, maybe it's one and four. So I don't know. I, I still don't believe that Houston doesn't take a quarterback. Although, you know, I, 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 I'll concede one thing. Maybe they don't take a quarterback at two, but they take one at twelve. That, that I could buy, but. For them to not come out of the first round with a quarterback of the future, I they're they're in worse shape quarterback wise than the Colts are. At least the Colts have got Gardner Minshew, who is a capable quarterback. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always said that believe nothing now. If you're a team and you wanted to come out and tell people exactly what you were going to do, you could do it because nobody would believe you. And that's kind of where we are with the draft about a week away. Well, then now is the time when you start getting the real BS. Like, like, for example, I'll give you, Mike, C.J. Stroud. Like, all I care about with C.J. Stroud is how he looked, for example, against Georgia and how that could translate to the Colts for a number of years. But now it's, well, he wasn't that coachable. Now it's, well, he's not much of a leader. And I, I understand that all this plays a role, just not 
as much of a role to me as what I saw him do against Georgia and what I believe he'd, he'd be able to do as a Colts quarterback of the long-term future. This is all the stuff that we have to battle and start talking about. I think it just in terms of everything else has been talked about, and this is what happens in the final seven days. You know, a lot of this BS that really, really doesn't matter as much as just the overall type of quarterback talent we're talking about. Well, but, but what if all this anti-CJ Stroud stuff's coming from some team drafting in the middle of the middle of the draft, and they, they want to hurt his stock, so maybe he falls to them. So, yeah. so who do you believe? I, mean, I, I, I have a hard time buying into the fact that I, that it, all of a sudden teams have, decide, have determined that CJ Stroud can't read this. He's, he's slow processing. I, they've had this information for a year. And they phoned it. So anything I hear now, I, I really don't believe because there's generally an agenda. Either you're, you know, generally you're trying to say, well, you, you know, Houston doesn't want a quarterback. Arizona's not going to take one, obviously. And all of a sudden, C.J. Stroud can't read a book. I mean, that's extreme. But it, 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 it's there's always there's generally an agenda when you hear negative about a player this time of the offseason. So Mike Chappell, CBS 4 and Fox 59. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Anything that you feel that you know right now that maybe you didn't last week at this time? Not really. Again, because it it all gets muddied by – now, I still believe – I do believe that if the Colts are – let's let's just go on on the assumption that Bryce Young is, is number one. It seems like where it's pretty well settled. And in my mind, if the Colts believe, really believe that their second or third quarterback, they're okay with either one of them, then I think you move to three. I just, I'm not, I'm not a fan in general of sitting at four and taking what's there. I really, I, I'm not comfortable with that because, I, again, I do believe another quarterback will be taken before the Colts. But they say it for somebody's going to move up because that's what teams do. So I, I, I do, I would expect in my mind the Colts to move up, move up to three, but only if they think that Stroud or Richardson or Levis is a cut above. I'm not comfortable sitting at four. I just, I just don't like taking what's left. Well, I mean, do you think that when you look back on it? Do you think they'll regret not trying really hard? Because I don't think they tried at all to get up to number one, to have their choice of everybody. Do you think that will end up being a regret of theirs? No, because I think they, again, they, I, I, I believe what Chris Ballard said is they simply weren't ready. And, boy, if, you, if, you, if you're not convinced at that point that there is a guy, not Luck or Manning, but, you know, or even Joe Burrow, but a guy that, is is different and, and a cut above. You don't do it. Carolina believed that, and the, the thing I, I think the Colts probably called Chicago and at least said, "Hey, we're interested." You know, keep in mind that we you know we, we want to have talks, and then and then Carolina blew them out of the water with what they offered. And there's not a chance the Colts. There would have been a very difficult chance for the Colts to offer anywhere near what Carolina. Offered because Carolina came from so far up, and that's the issue you're going to have. Let's say that that they want to move to two or three, they could offer a decent package, but if somebody comes up from eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen, well, the, the further you come up, the more you're going to offer. So it, it would depend on how much Arizona wants to fall back. You know, I, I could see Arizona really liking Will Anderson or one of these guys and only wanting to go back one spot to make sure they get him. Because if they trade with the Colts, that guy's going to be there. And they're going to get two or three draft picks, to go, really good draft picks to go along with it. So, but, but it's all, right now, right now it's in Houston's, the ball's in Houston's court. And there is, isn't there zero chance that Houston's going to trade with, with the Colts or like Tennessee? They're not going to give the Colts of Tennessee division rivals a chance to get their quarterback, to get a quarterback. So uh, it, it's really interesting. We get Chris Ballard. We talk to him tomorrow. I don't think he's going to move 
the ball at all. We'll get all the same GM speak, which is, which you know, you know, we shouldn't go out there tomorrow expecting any kind of news because that's not what that's what not the GMs do now. I, I'd like to know maybe how many first round picks or how many quality first round prospects there are. I'd like to know do they really think do they in their mind know how the first three picks are going to go or just sort of waiting and seeing but he's the two or three times he's talked since the end of the season we're going to get the same variation of those quotes because one he's not going to share why why would he why would any GM share what they're going to do and second they may not know Hey, Mike, how dangerous of a game, again, if this is true with what the Texans may do and bypass any quarterback whatsoever at number two, how dangerous can that be? And then how funny is it that the reason why they're in that spot is because the Colts are so terrible at the end of the season and the Texans came back and won that game? Lovey Smith's parting shot uh, for him. Yeah, it, it, it is dangerous. And that's, you know, that's, Let's say Houston, they figure they can stay where they're at at two and get the best the best player in the draft, the defensive player, and then they'll take somebody at 12. Because if, if quarterback doesn't go at two, then there'll probably be a guy there at 12. But what if somebody jumps above you at 12? So there's no guarantee. That's why I say, you know, you know trading back and picking up a couple picks and maybe hoping your guy's there. Well, you better be okay with not him not being there. That's the only thing. I, I, I there've been times was it last year with with Jonathan Taylor, no, a couple years ago with Jonathan Taylor, where they were thinking about going back and going back, and finally they Jim Mercy said, "No, if you like the guy, get him." And it's funny. I talked to uh, Bill Polian early in the week about this was the 25th anniversary of when you know they took Peyton Manning and everything changed. Everything changed. And I said so many times in the draft, teams' desperation to find the guy drives quarterbacks up the board when they don't deserve there. And he he told me that he thinks that these five guys are all all show NFL uh, quality. I mean, above board that they are legitimate prospects. And he likes Hendon Hooker. Now he he says if you take Hendon Hooker, it's this year is basically a red shirt year. So, you know, take that and uh, with that understanding. But, you know, as he said, as, as, as everyone, all these draft guys and anyone who does evaluation, all these guys come with, with flaws, all of them. You know, there's not a pure guy in there. So, and, and it's, it's a 50-50, you know, basically a 50-50 proposition anyway when you draft a guy. So you've got to be as right as you, you can be even then knowing that there there's a chance that guy's not going to work out. So that's why I say if they really feel good about one of these guys, not named Bryce Young, I would just move up to three. And if it cost me a couple of twos, so be it. I mean, I don't want to give them up, but I'd rather be able to get the quarterback I really like and not get a second-round pick as opposed to keeping it four and then somebody jumps up and takes a guy that, you know, you really, really like. Didn't want to move up to get him. Mike Chappell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I asked this question yesterday. I think I was talking to Kevin Bowen at the time. So Peyton Manning, through Omaha Productions, had that quote. I'll paraphrase it here, not completely quoted out. But said something to the degree that um, Will Levis was genetically created to be a quarterback in the NFL and, and kind of half jokingly, half serious, asked Kev if he thought maybe all of a sudden Jim Irsay would have an even better, a stronger opinion regarding Will Levis because of what Manning said about him. What do you think? Is that more funny or more serious or meaningless at this point? Oh, I think there's probably something to it because Jimmy puts a lot of stock in what Peyton has to say, and especially on quarterbacks. I, I think. I remember I talked to Peyton a couple of weeks ago. It was for the Tom Moore. Tom Moore getting an award for the Hall of Fame, and we talked. We were talking quarterbacks, and it's obvious he's very much a Will Levis guy. He just really believes in him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if Peyton comes out strongly in favor of a guy, I, I think Jim says, you know. But I, 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 I also think that 
Jim Irsay needs to really allow Chris Ballard and his guys, including Shane Steichen, to make this pick. And, and I think he even said that. He told the guys who were in uh, Phoenix that he's going he's gonna to allow those guys to do it, and he would only intervene if they were, you know, really off base, in his, in his opinion, off base. So I, I do think this is a Chris Ballard call. I do. With, with some input from Ursay, but I, again, I, I go back to so many years ago talking to Jim Ursay, and and he was adamant: you put people in place and you let them do their job. Now he got away from that, you know, a little bit this past year. But doggone, if if you're going to trust Chris Ballard to fix this, then let him fix it. If it doesn't work, then then you move on. But don't don't put these guys in position. And then undercut him again. So I, I really think this will be a Chris Ballard call with heavy input from Shane Steichen. I really do. It's uh, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Besides, at least as we sit and talk about it right now, number four overall, round one. Number 35 overall in round two. 79 around three. We'll keep it with those next two in round two and round number three. Uh, directionally speaking, positionally speaking, what are you thinking about? as far as the Colts are concerned with those two draft selections coming up next weekend. And that's if they don't give up two with a trade. I, I would I would like to see him take a receiver at two. From everything you read, it's, it's a thin, it's a, a thinner receiver class and a really deep cornerback class. So, and, and I would argue that cornerback is, is the biggest need. I mean, their corners, they need help there. But if you're going to, if you're going to go with a young quarterback, doggone, give him, give him some young receivers. And, you know, you, and you, you know, you don't know what the, the fate of Michael Pittman is. I assume they give him an extension, but you don't know. So I just don't, don't put your future in the hands of a young quarterback and then, and then fail to give him help. You know, don't don't do what happened in 1990 when you get the quarterback and you get rid of the top receiver and your all-world uh, offensive lineman. So I, I would really try to get a young receiver because I, I, Isaiah McKenzie might be a good player, but you, you need a really a top level. You, you need a strong number three, and maybe the second round does it. And then I'd go corner in the third round. And boy, would it be nice to add an offensive lineman or two at some point. Hey, Mike, I, I went over this with you a little over a month ago because we were both at the Combine, and I asked Chris Ballard when he was on with me his feel regarding Shaquille Leonard coming back to Correct. Shaquille Leonard maniac form. His response was, I wouldn't bet against him, which did not give me <laughs> a great deal of confidence. They knew what was going on. And then yesterday when Shaquille Leonard met with, with you guys – uh, here locally with the indie media, I, I didn't get much more confidence out of yesterday either. How'd you feel when you heard what he had to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I would like to have heard because we're we're let me see. He had the surgery and the second surgery in November. We're like five months out. I just I just would like to have heard not that hey I'm ready. I, I wish we were playing the game tomorrow. Not that. But I did ask him, I said, well, are you cleared to do, are you, are you cleared to practice? Are you cleared to do everything? He said, well, I'm not cleared to do everything. He's not fully running yet. But he did say he's got, hey, the power's back in the calf and the explosion, the strength. So that that's encouraging. And, you know, he says he can feel it when he walks. I, I, I would like to, I would have felt better if it would have been, you know, I'm not ready yet, but but I'm really really close, and I'll be out there at some form in OTAs. And but the, the, you know, the, the, the one thing is, I, and I'm comparing it to last to, to last off season when they did he did hurry it back, and and he wasn't really ready yet. But you know he's a he's a top level player. He wants to play, and you know the season starts, and you want to play. They're not in that in that mode right now. I mean, they don't, they don't, you know, training camps in late July, they play in September. So as much as he wants to be ready for OTAs, he doesn't have to be ready for OTAs. 
I just I would like to have come away with a stronger sense that he's further along or maybe closer to being where he needs to be. And I, and I didn't get that. He's, he's optimistic. He's, he's certainly optimistic. And he, he kind of, as he's been known to do, he, he really went into depth about how difficult last year was being a cheerleader or a coach. And he had the doubts, will I ever be 53? Will I ever be the maniac again? I, I would like to have come away feeling a little better. And that, that's not to say I'm super over-concerned, but until you see him practice – in, in, you know, not really limited. You've got to be a little concerned. You just have to be. Hey, Mike, when people suggest to me, oh, here we go again, this kind of sounds like Andrew Luck. I know. They're right. It does kind of sound like Andrew Luck stuff right here. Because you don't know. And what's different a little bit is this is a back nerve you know, uh, uh, disc issue that that has taken two surgeries. The first one, the first one, didn't work because you needed a second one. So you're 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 going to have some concerns or worries until you see him out there. And then when he's out there, you're going to have concerns just because of the nature of the injury. I hope he's back to where he was. He's a fabulous player, but until you see him out there. I, I, I'm past well I trust it no I don't trust it anymore you know we've been, we've been burned a couple of times so in, in, right now all you can remember on, on Shaq is that when he was back out there last year he wasn't anywhere near the same player and he admits it but uh, yeah that's why I say I'd love to see him out there a little bit no TAs we probably won't I'm guessing we won't but come to start a training camp just don't be on puff to where, well, he's not quite there yet, but, you know, I, I, that would be a major red flag because of how far removed you'd be from the surgery. I wish him the best. He's a fabulous player. He's a good guy. But, boy, I can't come back until he's practicing. And, yes, they'll ease him in in training camp because that's what you do. But until you see him out there playing and not really – you know, taking too much time off and just playing, you're, there's got to be a concern. There just has to be. Could a, a draft selection dictate their belief at present time and what they expect him coming back or not next week? What's that again? I'm sorry. Could a draft selection they make coming up next week maybe oh, telegraph, dictate yeah. to us exactly what they think about his possibility of returning to form? I mean, that would mean taking a guy in the second or third round. Uh, they'll, they'll take a linebacker at some point because that, that group's kind of thin, too, and, they, and they've really been good about finding linebackers. They really have. You know, Bobby O'Karake and Anthony Walker and Zaire and even Matt Adams and EJ Street, they've done a really good job. So I, they'll do that just just because I guess maybe it would open my eyes if they if they took one in the third round. Uh, so I, I I would be surprised if they did that. But if they did that, it would it would say something. It certainly would. So Mike Chappell of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what the hell are they going to do at right guard here? What's I your thought? I, 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 I we were talking on our podcast today with at Fox Fifty Nine, and I just have to believe. I have to hope for this team that there are three offensive linemen not here yet that are going to play decent minutes. Right guard and backup tackle and and then a a utility guy because I don't like the makeup of the line right now. And I realize we don't play for a while. I understand that. But the free agent group is is, is thinning out as it always does. And if you take a – let's say you take a lineman in the second or third or fourth round – are they ready to play? I mean, Bernard Ryman wasn't. Now, he, he, it was a different because of his lack of experience at tackle. But uh, I, 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 I'm hoping there's a couple of significant players not here yet because I don't like to make up of the group. But that seems me. Now, do they think they hit – well, a couple of things. They believe – but it's more to me a hope regarding Ryman being good at left tackle. 
It's more to me hope than belief right now. Do they have a similar hope versus belief at right guard on their roster right now? I don't think so. Right now, the projected right guards, Will Fries, who played, I, I guess, okay, I, I don't know. I mean, it, that was such a mess last year. How do you <laughs> just, but but I, I, did, I feel better about Bernhard Ryman. And this is, this is not going to be a great compliment. I feel better about Bernhard Ryman at left tackle than I did about Matt Pryor or the early stages of Eric Foster. And that's not a great, that's not a great compliment. But I thought he, I thought he really settled in and played pretty well the last uh, two months. I thought he now he had an occasional breakdown that because those happen. But I feel better about him going into the year than I did the, the, the past two years. But there, but there's nothing behind him. There's, there's nothing proven behind him, and you just know that because of injuries. Six, seven, eight guys are going to play. That's just you know nine guys are going to play. And you know I, I realize it's early. There's still time. But if we're sitting here in June, better mini camp in mid June, and, and it's a couple of you know draft picks and this group, then they're really, really rolling the dice. And I would think after the way the last few years have worked, they wouldn't do that knowing how it turned out. You know what's either funny or silly or frustrating or stupid. I don't know which one it is here. But, you know, among the things that have been brought up over the years, and especially, you know, in terms of, of Jim and the owner about, you know, multiple Lombardis, chips are all in, you know, winning a division, all this stuff that, that never actually happened. It was also from Chris, you know, we're building this team and we're building it with depth. And... They may have, you probably would suggest they do, the least depth that we have seen in a long time with this team going into this year the way that it looks right now. I, I mean, it, that part didn't work out at all either, and that was one of their main themes for so many years. Yeah, that's what I say. You look at the offensive line, the depth isn't good. You know, there's depth because they got bodies, but it's not guys you could say, yeah, we could, I can see them starting or playing extended minutes cornerback, you know, safety. You know, Rodney McLeod's not back. I mean, he, he was that's a major loss. Uh, I, I, they've got really good depth on the defensive line. You need the two younger players, Dio and Quiddy Pay, to step up, which you kind of hope they will. You know, Buckner and Grover are as good as it gets uh, in, in the middle. Linebacker is a little thin because you just don't know about <laughs> Shaq. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree that the depth is is not what we're used to, and not what it needs to be. Uh, so, so and I don't I don't look in my mind that the draft is going to solve all of that. I, I just I'm not crazy about you know draft picks being being looked on as early early contributors in extended minutes, unless you're just a Unless you're a different player, different type of player. The, I keep going back to Antoine Bethea and Gerard Powers and guys like that who you just knew. You just knew those guys were going to be good players. So, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And, and, and again, it, it, it's at key positions. It, you know, the corners are really thin. They've got one draft pick in their group, which is, which is really strange. And it's Isaiah Rogers, who was a six-round pick. So, uh, yeah, I, I – I like a lot of pieces on this, Buck and Grover, and you know I, I think Zaire Franklin's a quality player, and like I said, Taylor and Pittman and, and Pierce, and I think I think the three offensive linemen will, will be motivated, extra motivated to get back and play at a high level. But there's still five or six question marks, and and it's the type of thing where you need, gosh, four of the five to come through, and and one of them's got to be left tackle. You know, Bernhard Ryman, you know, shows he's not ready. Then you're 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 back where you were, and it just paralyzes your offense when the left tackle is a concern. So, I, I, I that's why I say, and we've talked before. I, I it looks like it looks like 2024 is the year that they're sort of looking at. Not that they're going to just tank this year because, you know. 
DeForest Buckner gave it. He's a great guy. I didn't listen to his. Well, and, and, hey, I was going to bring this up, and I want you to answer this. I had DeForest Buckner on before you came on, and he bristles at the uh, word rebuild. rebuild. And he said that word. Shane Steichen, he said that Shane Steichen said the same thing to him, but they know. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean if, if they know, if, if we know, you know, they know. I, I think to me, that's why DeForest bristles at it so much is because his belief is and he's not saying it, but his belief is that he knows in reality that's exactly what it is. Probably. I mean, again, these guys are smart. They really are. They see what what they've got, the strengths and weaknesses and what's not there. They see that there's a there's every likelihood that you're going to have a young quarterback, and then and then how soon do you play the young quarterback? And if you don't, you've got Gardner Minshew who who has who's been okay, nothing more than that. I mean, how how many? What's your record if Gardner Minshew starts 17 games, six and 11? I don't know. I mean, so so that, that's why. And if I'm a veteran, if I'm Buck or you know, even even Jonathan Taylor, who's a young guy, or one of these offensive linemen, don't tell me rebuild. You know, who knows who's going to be here in two years? So that's that's why I say that they, they've got those four or five really key questions, and you know, you're not going to know how it really pans out until September, and then you're, you're either competitive or you're you know or you're not. Uh, but but yeah, rebuild's not a word any player. Anybody wants to hear. Um, Mike Chappell there, CBS 4, Fox 59. They got a new podcast up with Mike as well. You can check that out. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right. We're going we're going to be sitting on top of it at this time next week. <laughs> Amazing. I can't wait. Let's, let's get it over so we know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Talk to you next week. Later.